Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 160 of the GDPR Weekly Show, and this week we have news that WhatsApp faces a record 225 million euro fine by the Irish State Protection Commission. And then we travel to Turkey, where it's definitely not been a good week for WhatsApp, as the Turkish state regulator has fined WhatsApp for non-compliance with Turkish data protection regulation. We then return to the UK and have some reactions to Oliver Dowden's Telegraph interview, which we mentioned last week here on the GDPR Weekly Show. And we then travel to Haven in Hampshire, where a mother has been awarded £10,000 in damages after a data breach by a school. And we then have news of a BBC investigation into the Welsh Government, which has revealed that the Welsh Government itself has had 300 GDPR breaches since 2019. We then travel to Australia, where Australian insurers and banks are alarmed at the prospect of having to pay victims for data breaches. And we then travel to the USA, and firstly to Colorado, where voting data for Mesa County has been leaked online. Remaining in the USA, we travel to Texas, where the Dallas Independent School District has had a data breach. And we then travel to Asia and firstly to Thailand, where Bangkok Airways has had a data breach. And remaining in Asia, we then travel to Indonesia, where the Indonesian government has had a data breach affecting COVID-19 data. So as always, a real mix of articles for you in this week's GDPR Weekly Show. We hope that you find the information useful and informative. If you have any feedback for us, please email feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, and wherever possible, we incorporate your suggestions for improvements into the show. But unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. If you're a regular listener to GDPR Weekly Show, then you'll probably know that since episode 67, we've been talking about the Irish Data Protection Commission investigation into activities at WhatsApp. Indeed, as well as episode 67, we also mentioned this in episode 76, episode 92, episode 144, episode 153 and episode 155. Well, this week, things have taken a definite step forwards because... The Irish Data Protection Commission has announced a 225 million euro, that's approximately 267 million US dollar, fine for WhatsApp. The Irish DPC has been conducting its investigation since December 2018. Despite receiving a number of specific complaints about WhatsApp, the investigation undertaken by the DPC that's been decided was what's known as an own volition inquiry meaning the regulator selected the parameters of the investigation itself, choosing to fix on an audit of WhatsApp's transparency obligations. A key principle of GDPR is that entities which are processing people's data must be clear, open and honest with those people about how their information will be used. The Irish DPC's decision this week, which runs to a full 266 pages, concludes that WhatsApp failed to live up to the standards required by GDPR. The DPC's inquiry considered whether or not WhatsApp fulfilled transparency obligations to both users and non-users of its service. WhatsApp may, for example, upload the phone numbers of non-users if a user agrees to it ingesting their phone book, which contains other people's personal data, as well as looking at the transparency the platform offers over its sharing of data with its parent entity, Facebook. The DPC found a range of transparency infringements by WhatsApp spanning Articles 5.1a, 12, 13 and 14 of GDPR. 
In addition to the financial penalty, the DPC has ordered WhatsApp to take a number of actions to improve the level of transparency it offers users and non-users, giving WhatsApp a three-month deadline for making all the ordered changes. In a statement responding to the DPC's decision, WhatsApp disputed the findings and dubbed the penalty entirely disproportionate, as well as confirming it intends to appeal. WhatsApp said, WhatsApp is committed to providing a secure and private service. We have worked to ensure the information we provide is transparent and comprehensive and will continue to do so. We disagree with the decision today regarding the transparency we provided to people in 2018 and the penalties are entirely disproportionate. We will appeal this decision. While it's true that even a $267 million penalty is really nothing to an organisation the size of Facebook, orders to change how they have to operate at least had the potential to be far more significant in their effect upon Facebook and WhatsApp's business model. In a statement, Matt Srems, the well-known privacy advocate who indeed brought about the Srems 2 ruling, said, We welcome the first decision by the Irish regulator. However, the DPC gets about 10,000 complaints per year since 2018, and this is the first major fine. The DPC also proposed an initial 50 million fine and was forced by the other European data protection authorities to move towards 225 million euros, which is still only 0.08% of the turnover of the Facebook group. The GDPR foresees fines up to 4% of turnover. This shows how the DPC is still extremely dysfunctional. In another reaction statement, the European Consumer Protection Association, the BEUC, said the decision was well overdue. David Martin, team leader of digital policy at BEUC, added, It sends a serious message to Facebook and its subsidiaries that breaking the EU rules on data protection has consequences. It also shows the decisive role that the European Data Protection Board has in enforcing GDPR as the Irish Data Protection Authority was forced by its EU counterparts to take a much stricter stance. We hope that consumer authorities take note of this decision and act swiftly on BEUC's separate complaint against WhatsApp for unfairly pressuring users to accept the recent changes to its terms and conditions and privacy policy. Because of the complexity of these things, it's likely to be several months before the appeal into WhatsApp's penalty is heard. But obviously we'll keep you updated with any news that we have right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. It's definitely not been a good week for WhatsApp because in addition to the Irish DPC penalty on Friday, Turkey joined a host of other countries in finding Facebook's WhatsApp messaging service for failing to sufficiently protect user data. While a small win in comparison to the Irish penalty at just €200,000, which is approximately $235,000, the Turkish penalty was imposed after months of confusion over whether WhatsApp had introduced its controversial new data sharing rules in Turkey. WhatsApp updated its Terms of Service and Privacy Policy to include explicit consent to the processing of personal data of users who want to use the app and transfer it to third parties located abroad. The Turkish Personal Data Protection Authority, the KVKK, said in a statement. For this, the company found that users who do not have explicit consent cannot use the app and their accounts will be deleted. As part of the relevant decisions by KVKK, it was decided to officially launch an examination of WhatsApp, especially on data transfer abroad, binding the service to an explicit consent requirement and compliance with general principles. 
Although it is stated that the application is based on different data processing conditions in terms of various personal data processing and activities, an explicit consent requirement for personal data processing is a condition referred to as an exception, it was found that the way to obtain the explicit consent of persons concerned was taken by giving consent to the contract due to the definition of the terms of service of the contract with the user. The TBKK considered that a single explicit consent is obtained from users for the processing of their data and transfer of the third parties residing abroad without providing an optional right, and the processing and transfer activities are presented to the data subject inseparably in a single text by making a provision regarding the transfer in the contract. The KBKK then ruled that the free will disclosure element had been damaged. It was stressed that the platform is acting contrary to the principles of processing for specific, clear and legitimate purposes, and being connected, limited and restrained to the purpose for which they were processed. All kinds of processing activities such as saving, storing, modifying, transferring personal data obtained by the data controller from the relevant persons in Turkey meant to transfer personal data abroad unless the servers are located in Turkey, said KBKK. KBJK said that express consent had not been obtained from the relevant persons regarding the personal data processing activity to be carried out through cookies for profiling purposes and the personal data processing activity carried out within the scope was also not in accordance with Turkish data processing law. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com Last week we brought you news of Oliver Dalton, the UK Culture Secretary's comments in an interview to the Daily Telegraph about his views on the future of GDPR and specifically UK GDPR. This week has seen bodies make comment on Mr Dalton's interview and so we thought we would bring you a selection of their comments here on the GDPR Weekly Show. The Information Commissioner, Elizabeth Denham, said she agreed with Mr Dowden that data-driven innovation stands to bring enormous benefits to the UK economy and to our society. But she said, The digital opportunity before us today will only be realised where people continue to trust their data will be used fairly and transparently, both here in the UK and when shared overseas. My office has supported valuable innovation while encouraging public trust in data use, particularly during the pandemic. We stand ready to provide our expert advice and insight as part of any future government consultation. Commenting on the new information commissioner, she said that Mr Edwards would bring extraordinary breadth, international leadership and credibility to the role, assuming that his appointment is finally approved. Turning now back to Mr Delden's interview, there have been interesting comments from the voluntary sector, with the overall view being that after so much charity time, money, resource and effort went into and still goes into, making sure that charitable organisations were GDPR compliant, there was likely to be some anxiety in the sector over the prospect of having to go through something similar again, or know that investment was so large for so little. Now you might think that the marketing industry would be supportive of Mr Dowden's view, but their support was conditioned somewhat. The Data and Marketing Association, DMA, said that most marketers and businesses thought that GDPR had been a change for the better. The DMA has called for government to allow industry associations like itself and the IAB, the Internet Advertising Bureau, to establish industry codes of conduct in partnership with the ICO, rather than overhauling GDPR itself. The DMA and many of the data privacy experts we work with believe that it's interpretations of GDPR that are restricting growth in the digital economy, not GDPR itself, said the DMA's Director of Policy and Compliance, John Mitchison. It went on to say industry codes of conduct can help to apply data protection legislation to achieve the government's growth and innovation objectives set out in their national data strategy. 
This will help businesses to innovate while maintaining a high level of privacy protection, the degree necessary to build trust and consumer confidence in the modern digital economy. Crucially, the DMA says the government must ensure that it does not risk its adequacy status with the EU and the benefits that that brings to allow businesses to trade across Europe. The DMA agrees with the government's position that the UK must strive to become a global leader in data, but there has to be a balanced approach from all parties, they said. If the UK government does plan to amend data protection laws, then they must remain in consultation with the EU to ensure that all parties are happy. The government doesn't need to go back to the drawing board, but there may need to be revisions to UK data protection laws at some point to facilitate non-EU adequacy agreements. And that overall view, I think, reflects the view that we put forward last week from ourselves here at the GDPR Weekly Show. And there's an old adage that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I think that very much applies to GDPR, although recognising that we live in a changing world. The COVID-19 pandemic has, of course, driven everybody forward by a number of years, probably, on where we thought data would be. And so perhaps there does need to be changes to incorporate more of the provisions for home working. But I think I speak for the majority in the GDPR community when we say that we would be against wholesale change of the regulations because of the actual negative impact that would have on organisations just due to the upheaval of having to meet new regulations. Doubtless this is a subject we will return to in future episodes of the GDPR Week Show. To Havant in Hampshire now, and a mother who fled her home due to domestic violence was harassed by her ex after he got her address from an infant school in a breach of GDPR. The mother of three, who of course wishes to remain anonymous, was relocated from a refuge to Lee Park near Haven in 2016 and enrolled her children at a nearby school. But after the school disclosed to her ex-partner that the children were there, he entered the premises and then obtained the 49-year-old's address from inside the school. Weeks of harassment followed with him loitering outside her home. Following a court case this month, the mother has been awarded £10,000 compensation from Hampshire County Council for a breach of the Data Protection Act 2018. The mother said, I don't trust anybody, not anymore. I feel paranoid, anxious and above all let down by a system that is meant to protect me and my children. My kids were in child protection and the school knew that, but not only was that still allowed to happen, but the authorities denied it at every single turn. It's understood that since the incident, the mother concerned her children and moved house yet again. According to your lawyers, who represented the woman, they still initially apologised for what happened, but later denied it had ever happened. She said, as soon as I realised he had my address, I phoned the police. He would linger outside, get delivery sent to my house in the middle of the night. It was a living nightmare. Armand Joel, director of Your Lawyers, said the incident is an example of the severity of mismanaging sensitive information and the case demonstrates a genuine impact on real vulnerable people when their right to privacy is breached. It is common for stores to be privy to sensitive information in cases pertaining to shared parental responsibility and in which social services are involved. In fact, stores know to go above and beyond to prevent any safeguarding issues that could arise, particularly in cases where domestic problems are known. It is surprising and disappointing that the store allowed this data breach to happen so easily. The impact on my client has understandably been significant and we are relieved to have been able to obtain some form of legal justice for her. Mr Joe added that local authority breaches like this are one of the most common types of cases that he handles. Hampshire County Council says it has changed its school policy since the incident took place. A spokesperson from the council said this case was rigorously defended in court, however the judge found in favour of the claimant. We respect that decision and can confirm that in accordance with the judgment, damages have been paid to the claimant. The school GDPR policy was updated in 2020 and the former policy was therefore superseded. 
Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. An investigation by the BBC has found that the Welsh Government has broken data protection laws more than 300 times in less than three years. Breaches since the start of 2019 involved documents which included criminal allegations and personal sensitive data. Some breaches were made from a secure government site, a Freedom of Information request found. The Information Commissioner's Office said people should expect personal data to be handled securely. The Welsh Government said it takes data protection obligations seriously and carries out an internal reporting process. It added, once each breach is reported, processes are reviewed and where necessary, remedial action is agreed with management. Of the 300 breaches, 11 were serious enough to be referred to the ICO, including a care home inspection report containing personal sensitive data was published on the Care Inspectorate Wales website in error in April 2021. A subcontractor issued a form containing sensitive personal information of one individual to 26 individuals via email in March 2021. Also in March 2021, a safeguarding inquiries court report containing personal sensitive data was emailed in error to the wrong service users. In August and September 2019, personal sensitive data that also included criminal allegations was published on the Planning Inspectorate's Appeals Casework Portal. And in August 2019, a prisoner was sent a court report relating to a different family as well as information that he should not have received. In three of these cases, the subject of the data was offered protection under the Fraud Prevention Service CFAS. CFAS then flags the subject's details in the National Fraud Database, allowing companies to see that the person is at risk of impersonation and take extra steps to ensure they're protected. As a result of the breaches, 33 Welsh Government staff members were referred to the Human Resources Department with disciplinary action or the underperformance procedure used with some and informal action with others. In addition, about 60 staff have had to repeat their mandatory GDPR training. Desk instructions, relevant policy documents and guidelines have all been reviewed and updated in response to the cases. Some staff were asked to turn off the email autofill facility in Outlook which automatically fills in names and email addresses based on the characters you start to enter. The Welsh Government, which has about 5,500 full-time equivalent staff, added that all breaches were reported, recorded and acted upon no matter how small, with very few meeting criteria for reporting to the ICO, despite the level of personal data processing undertaken by the Welsh Government. The ICO said not all data breaches need to be reported to the ICO. The organisation must assess the seriousness of the incident and whether it poses any risk to the rights and freedoms of people. If they decide not to report it, they must be able to say why. People have the right to expect that organisations will handle their personal information securely. When that doesn't happen, they should contact the organisation first. If they're still not satisfied, they can come to the ICO. Now, of course, this is something which we've said a number of times here on GDPR Weekly Show, which is not all data breaches are serious enough to report to the ICO. But what is important, and indeed crucial, is that as an organisation you have a data breach register, and you ensure that any data breaches are recorded in your data breach register. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Australia now, and Australia's banks and insurance companies are concerned that a plan that would make it easier for individuals impacted by data breaches to sue or seek financial compensation. It's thought that premiums for cyber insurance and directed liability products in Australia should rise if consumers are afforded clearer legal avenues to seek compensation for a data breach or cyber incident. The ability for consumers to seek remedies or compensation for cyber security incidents is currently limited in Australia, but that could change if a direct right to action is introduced. 
The Department for Home Affairs said in July that a right could be built into consumer privacy laws and lead to standards being set for payouts to people impacted by a breach. Not surprisingly, perhaps, this proposal has been met with alarm from insurance companies and banks to ensure that the precedent it would set and that potential for liability to discourage disclosure of incidents in the first place. The Insurance Council of Australia warned that insurance premiums would rise if data breach victims were given easier ways to sue attack companies that hold their data. The Council's CEO, Andrew Hall, said... We urge the government to approach with caution any measures that would place upward pressure on lines of insurance which have faced significant increases in claims costs and therefore premiums in recent years. The Insurance Council therefore strongly encourages the Department of Home Affairs to consider broader insurance implications of any cybersecurity changes to Australian regulations. Mr Hall said existing data breach disclosure obligations were satisfactory without raising the prospect of payouts. These already have the effect of enabling consumers to ask questions, request further information in relation to a cyber attack and seek reassurance on steps taken by an organisation, he said. The Australian Banking Association is equally concerned, saying the recourse proposals create complex questions that cross multiple legal or regulatory regimes. It raised concerns about the threshold for suing a company that is breached as well as the extent to which operational incidents, system outages that aren't caused by a threat actor, could also become targets for compensation. If the threshold is negligence, regardless of precautionary measures and ongoing investment in system resilience, and the impact of cyber attacks will differ. As such, consider whether consumers should be required to establish a loss of their personal information or data, as well as financial loss linked to the loss of data, or whether the threshold for taking court action be evidence of a systemic failure to meet minimum cyber security standards and or a failure to protect personal information that results in serious harm. The Banking Association warned that linking liability to regulatory reports of cyber incidents could have a chilling effect on early and proactive engagement with regulators and impacted or potentially impacted data subjects. If we receive any update on this from the Australian Department of Home Affairs, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com to Colorado in the USA now, and it's nearly a month since sensitive data about voting equipment in Colorado's Mesa County was posted online by conspiracy theorists eager to cast doubt on the outcome of the 2020 election. At the Centre of Criminal Investigation into how the information was released is County Clerk Tina Peters, whose whereabouts remain unknown. She hasn't returned to work in Mesa County since the data breach was announced. It's understood that the FBI is also investigating the case. One reason why the Mesa County security breach is particularly significant is because it uses equipment from Dominion Voting Systems, one of the USA's biggest vendors of election equipment. The company is also at the centre of many of the conspiracy theories about the 2020 election that claim the ballot counting was somehow rigged against former President Donald Trump. It's understood that Dominion is pursuing a number of defamation suits against both pro-Trump news outlets and Trump advisers over these conspiracy theories. Most election officials around the country have spent the better part of the last year and a half fighting conspiracy theories spouted by Trump and his allies, but Peter seems to embrace the falsehoods and fueled them. Just as state officials announced the probe, Peters was attending and speaking at a conference hosted by MyPillow CEO Mike Lindell that pushed more falsehoods about the 2020 election. I've listened to people, I've looked at it objectively, and there's some discrepancies there that I cannot deny. And I tell people, I say, I can't unsee some of these things, Peters told attendees at the conference. Peters is being shouted by Lindell, a serial promoter of false election fraud claims. He says Peters fears for her safety if she returns home. Local county commissioners in Colorado say Peters needs to return to oversee the other parts of her job and staff. She's in hiding by her own admission, said Commissioner Scott McInnes, 
who, like Peters, is a Republican. We want to make sure we take the threats against her very, very seriously. We want to make sure she's protected, but she does need to come back to work. It's understood that Peters was first elected in 2018, and her tenure as the top election official in the rural western Colorado County has occasionally been controversial. In February 2020, her office admitted to finding 574 uncounted ballots from a 2019 election, leading to a state probe and calls for her resignation. However, Peters is not the only problem at the clerk's office. On Thursday, her deputy, Belinda Nisley, was charged with secondary burglary and a cybercrime over entering the building while she was suspended, pending an investigation into unprofessional and inappropriate conduct in the workplace. Earlier this week, Colorado Secretary of State Jane Treswold filed a lawsuit to prevent Peters from having any role in the county's upcoming autumn election. Mesa County is a conservative area where voters strongly backed Trump last year. While some residents say they want Peters voted out of office or recalled, she also has her backers. Recently, several hundred supporters gathered for a rally outside the clerk's office, chanting, We love Tina. I feel there was definitely election fraud and we need to get to the bottom of it, said Shelley Lucas, who attended the rally. Mesa County had to spend nearly $1 million to renew a contract with Dominion after the state banned the compromised machines for being used in the autumn. In particular, local prosecutors and the FBI have opened investigations into whether Peters gave an unauthorised person access to the voting machine software. However, as of yet, no criminal charges have been filed against her. If we get any update on this story from Mesa County in Colorado, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Week Show. Remaining in the USA but travelling to Texas, the Dallas Independent School District has disclosed a data breach exposing sensitive personal data belonging to students and employees enrolled or employed since 2010. An unauthorised third-party access to our network downloaded data and temporarily stored it on an encrypted cloud storage site, Dallas Independent School District said in a data breach notice published on September the 2nd. Upon learning of the incident on August the 8th, Dallas Independent School District said it launched an investigation, implemented additional security measures and addressed specific vulnerabilities that were exploited during this event. It added, we confirmed that the unauthorised third party removed the data from the encrypted cloud storage site and informed us that the data was not disseminated or sold to anyone. The public school district said that although no evidence of data misuse or fraud had surfaced so far, it could not be 100% certain until additional forensic analysis is completed. Dallas Independent School District operates 230 schools in north-central Texas that collectively teach 153,861 students. It's understood that impacted parties include students, parents and guardians, employees and contractors who have been enrolled or employed by the organisation since 2010. The data includes first and last names, addresses, phone numbers, social security numbers, dates of birth, dates of employment, salary information and reasons for ending employment. Data pertaining to students is understood to contain first and last names, social security numbers, dates of birth, parent or guardian contact information and grades. It's understood that custody status and or medical condition data may also have been involved for some students. The district said it's notifying affected individuals, giving them access to 12 months credit monitoring and ID theft recovery services and posting a hotline number that will field questions from potentially affected individuals. Federal law enforcement authorities have also been notified, it said. In the statement, they said, We take this matter very seriously and invested significant resources to protect sensitive data. Despite our efforts, the district is now one of the growing number of public and private organisations experiencing cyber attacks. It added, The district is conducting a comprehensive review of its systems and implementing additional security measures. We are confident these changes will decrease the possibility of a future incident. 
wants to ask GDPR questions live, come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. To Thailand now, and regional airline Bangkok Airways has acknowledged it fell victim to a cybersecurity attack which has robbed it of personally identifiable information of customers. In a statement, the airline admitted that threat actors had managed to steal sensitive information about its passengers, including their name, physical and electronic contact details, passport information, historical travel details, as well as partial credit card information. On the 23rd of August 2021, Bangkok Airways Public Company Limited discovered that the company had been a victim of a cyber security attack, which resulted in unauthorised and unlawful access to its information system, the company said. The airline adds that when the incident came to light, the company took steps to contain the event and is currently not just investigating the breach, but also trying to verify the compromised data and the affected passengers. The airline, however, hasn't specified how many customers' details have been exfiltrated, as that aspect appears to be under investigation. The Lockbit ransomware gang have claimed responsibility for the data breach and says it now has 103 gigabytes of compressed data from the airline in its possession. Originally, the group had threatened to release the data on August the 30th if its ransom demands weren't met. However, there are no reports of the data being disclosed publicly, which probably means that the two parties are negotiating. If we receive any update on this from Bangkok Airways, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GPL Weekly Show. And remaining in Asia, we finish this week in Indonesia, where the Indonesian government is investigating a potential leak of more than a million personal records stored in an old COVID-19 tracking application, the second data breach to hit the Indonesian government in three months. It's understood that the government suspects that its partner is a potential source of the leak from the Electronic Health Alert Card app that has been decommissioned since July the 2nd, according to an official at the Health Ministry. The app was mandatory for any travel entering the country and for domestic flights. They were required to download the app and store data including contact details and their COVID-19 test results. Anas Maraf, the head of data centre and information at the ministry, said an investigation has been conducted as well as further examination into the leak. When there's any news on this, we will bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurance production. Until next time. Bye-bye.